Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Happy birthday to you. All right, sing it, boy. Straight off of Hard Knocks. We got a lot of Hard Knocks conversation we'll coming in. you. All right, everybody in the car, go ahead. If you're doing, if you're going solo, if you got somebody in the car, that's fine. I'm going to give a countdown to three. Go ahead, Fiddy, get the mic in place. Turn your mic on. I'm going to count down to three, and we'll do a war cry for War Cry Wednesday. One, two, three. That was a good one. On the Weston Walker Show, it has been one year since the boys came on to the air to bring you sports talk the only way that we know how on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. Welcome back. And without further ado, it's time for the campus. Kona. Listen, man. Jimbo Fisher made $20,000 for his first paid coaching job. An offensive coordinator at Stanford in 1991. Now he makes six figures what he will get paid over the next eight years by Texas A&M to coach their football team. Couple hundred grand a day he's going to make. I mean, it's just crazy. When you talk about the buyout, over 70 million he's going to collect in his pocket to not coach. They gave him 70-something million to say, get out of here. Can you imagine what it's like being a Texas A&M donor and you just go to your friend and say, hey, man, um, we're tired of Jimbo, so let's get this uh, 70 million up and then uh, you know we'll start focusing on who we want to be the next coach who we're going to pay a lot of money as well, not to mention pay his assistants to go away too. I mean, it must be nice to have that oil money. It, it, it must be nice, for sure. 70 million for the next how many years? Is it six years that he's going to be eight reigning it? Yeah, eight years. <laughs> so much. So much money from Jimbo Fisher. There are a couple things here. One, Texas A&M, God bless him, man. Unless it's Johnny Manziel and they're making untold docs about him, Texas A&M just can't be football relevant all that much. Like they tried and they were, I, I shouldn't say relevant because they're still good enough, but they're not good enough to the point that Texas A&M, the fan base, wants them to be. And this goes to show you they're willing to pay $70, $70 million to get rid of a coach that won a championship within the last decade. That's how bad they want to get back to winning again. How are you feeling if you're Florida State? Florida State's got to be like, told you. Yeah. <laughs> Florida State, not that they wanted Jimbo Fisher to leave a ton, but I guess I don't know how much was going on inside the program, but we know Jimbo Fisher wanted to get the heck out of Dodge, knowing that that offensive line was absolutely atrocious, knowing that the talent was not rolling on in like it had been in years past, and so he leaves and he gets the job at Texas A&M, and then Willie Taggart and a couple of other coaches are there to deal with uh, with all of the pieces that need to be picked up. 
Now, here's Jimbo Fisher out of a job, Wes Bryant, and Mike Norvell has the Seminoles with a chance to win the championship this year. Yeah, how it's flipped on its head because we saw Jimbo did have a couple of successful seasons with Texas A&M, one in particular, but... They didn't get to a college football playoff, and now the Seminoles might. Yeah, and so also took a bad screenshot. It's going to be $26,301 that Jimbo Fisher will get paid every day over the next eight years by Texas A&M. That's not bad to just, you know, chill out, collect 20-plus Gs. And so now the odds makers with who they think will be the next Texas A&M football coach, Jeff Trailer, the coach for Texas San Antonio, is the current favorite at plus 300. Dukes, Mike Elko, is tied with him at plus 300. Kalen DeBoer, the head coach from Washington, is at plus 500. Dan Lanning and Eli Drinkowitz round out the top five. I mean, that would be weird to see Eli Drinkwitz go from one yeah. SEC school to another. But Jeff Trailer from... Texas San Antonio and Mike Elko, man, with the job that he's doing at Duke. How much of a possibility do you think that that would be? The only reason it's a possibility is because they might offer so much money that it's tough to say no to. I don't think it's going to be so tough to say no to to the point where it actually does get him out of Durham, North Carolina. He talked about it a little bit. He said it's a profession where people just like to put stuff out there as far as the coaching rumors and possible leaving rumors. He says, I'm very committed to this place. Everybody knows I'm very happy at this place. We're doing a lot of really special things at this place. My family's very happy here. We love Duke. We love everything this place if for. I don't know. He just keeps saying this place all the time, but you get the idea. He just says a million times. All in the different stuff ways. they always say. Yeah. So you're saying there's a good shot that he leaves because of the money. Oh, no doubt about it. When you talk about the SEC coming to call and the type of money that will be on the table, the opportunities that he will have, because let's face it, as much as I like Duke and what they were able to do this year, this isn't a program you're talking about college football playoff potential with. And this is a program that you're going to struggle in most seasons to even get in contention for the ACC championship because of the ACC, uh, because of the academic standards that are there at Duke and also the NIL. Uh, I know that Duke has money but they don't have money like Texas A&M has got money, okay? So that's going to be something to factor in. Here's the thing. I remember talking to an assistant coach one time who was looking to climb and potentially be a head coach one day, and they were discussing about some of the mid-major schools here in North Carolina, and they were discussing, look, if that happens, if I get a job at, I don't know, Western Carolina or wherever, right, whatever mid-major school like that, and if you can get maybe seven, eight wins a season, and then you can have a couple of 10 wins, but then maybe you have a down year and you're only bowl eligible barely. I'm good with that. I'll take that. This is where I have stability. I got a good home life. My kids know exactly where they're going to go to school every single day. They don't Mm got to worry about moving the next year unless I get fired. And I already have a nice foundation with five consecutive winning seasons and nobody's expecting anything more than that. I got it made here. If Mike Elko, to me is going to make the right decision. The right decision, in my opinion, would be to go to Duke and say, hey, I need a little bit more money. Let's just go ahead and take care of this contract extension. I'll be here long term, and I'm not going to leave because I know I've got it pretty good here too, right? Like if you leave for Texas A&M, there's a high likelihood you're going to get fired. Oh, no doubt about it. Now, you might not care if they're going to pay you $70 million and then they fire you. You still get your $70 million over the course of eight years. But 
Maybe you do care enough to where you don't want to get fired. You're not going to get fired at Duke as long as you do anything close to what he's doing now. Yeah, and so Deion Sanders has also been brought up. For me, I just don't think that he's won enough at Colorado to warrant an SEC job. Plus, it would be hard for Shadour and Shiloh to transfer there with the NCAA rules. I don't know how Texas A&M could try to finesse that. But Paul Feinbaum also had an interesting candidate that he says could be floated amongst the names. What about Dabo Sweeney to Texas A&M? The credentials are there. Two national championships. What, five playoff appearances? Uh, Four national championships? Maybe five. Maybe it's, uh, I think it's at least four national championship appearances. I'll have to uh, double check on whether uh, there was another one I may be missing. uh, Clemson has been that consistent. But does does he fit? Absolutely. Uh, Dabo Sweeney uh, aligns very well from a cultural standpoint with Texas A&M. Would he leave Clemson? I think he would. Uh, I think he's they're, they're kind of sick of him, and I think he's sick of them. And- what? I mean, <laughs> Paul Feinbaum to me, it's just hilarious how you know he just coming at Clemson, and I think he just wants to try to take from the ACC's or one of the best teams in all of college football. He just wants to take that away from the ACC, but I don't see this happening. I do think that Dabble Sweeney is a great fit there as far as the personality and what he brings to the team. I definitely can see that, but as far as he's got it too good at Clemson, I think he's on a mission to resurrect this program to where they once were, and Dabble's got a ginormous buyout with his Clemson deal as well. And so if you're Texas A&M, you're talking about just paying an exorbitant amount of money to so many different coaches if this one doesn't work either. And this one with Dabo, he's making $10.9 million per year. He's number two in the sport. So the Dabo. buyout is crazy. And so then to think that the donors are going to pony up the money, even though they got it, to pay him, pay Jimbo, and then pay Dabo what he's going to be asking for and his assistance, that's just too much. I don't see Can you imagine how angry Tyler from Spartanburg would be if Dabo actually left? Oh, my goodness. And then you had to deal with whatever the coach was afterwards where a good season, like a legitimately good season, would be what's happening right now, eight wins. But maybe they've created enough of a foundation to where they can have some success that is left behind from Dabo, but not the kind of college championship success that Dabo was doing in Clemson during his time there in this scenario. I just want to know who was in what SEC overlord was in Paul Feinbaum's ear telling him you're not allowed to say anything positive (laughs) about Dabo Sweeney and an SEC school because this man sounded heartbroken about Dabo being a perfect fit to coach Texas (laughs) A&M. Yeah, he didn't say it. He said it. It, it was very much the, the similar type of energy that Wes said Ric Flair's documentary time. He did. He, he did. said, woo. That's how he was talking <laughs> about Dabo actually leaving Clemson for Texas A&M. Yeah, and Dabo Swinney's buyout in 2022 and 2023 is $64 million and it drops to $60 million over the next two years, man. So that is just over $130 million for two coaches and buyouts alone. No way. But one coach that is still looking to stay where he is, but... In a bit of a solemn mood as well as my man Dave Clawson at Wake Forest. After they lost to NC State 26-6, he sounded about as down in the dumps as I've ever heard him. My mom, who went to the game, listened to the postgame, told me I've never heard Coach Clawson 
sound like that. I mean, some of the quotes from the postgame, if they want to boo me and say whatever they want about me, I'd say they're completely justified right now. Pointing the finger at himself, saying that they've got to do some soul searching and look at the team. Clearly, I'm failing this season. I'm not getting the job done. We've lost our way. I don't mind losing the game. I don't want us to lose our way and our culture. And today, I haven't seen a mess like that in years and almost cried at the weekly press conference saying, quote, I take these losses hard. And so for Wake Forest right now, he also talked about postgame, how he hasn't fully embraced the new ways of college football, which to me, that sounds like donuts. Get that bread up. It's time to go hunting. And I think one of the things that's going to have to be at the top of their list is the quarterback position. Mitch Griffiths, I was completely 100% undoubtedly wrong about him. Michael Kern is not the answer to the backup. And Santino Marucci, sorry, man, you're, you're a backup. And so to me, I said, my opinion, they need to go grab two quarterbacks out of the portal, try to find a young freshman. But if I'm them, I maybe look at Western Carolina's quarterback, Cole Gonzalez. I may be looking at oh, Joey okay. Aguilar from Appalachian State. I'll take all the homes. I might try to go talent. take two of those guys because the selling point for the for the Wake Forest is the job is open. It's there. And you could come in right immediately and play. And so, to me, that's just two of the guys. Who knows who's going to be available in the portal? But I like Aguilar and Cole Gonzalez, man. They've got some great kids down there at Western Carolina. I think FCS, you can definitely find a stud there. Yeah, my bad. I got chocolate sauce in my pants from the donuts you gave me. I'm trying to get that up and also give some thoughts on Dave Clawson. Um, last thing for me on Dave Clawson. One thing that's interesting, maybe they've gone through this before, and that's after the start to Dave Clawson's career. If you go back to 2020, that Demon Deacon team was 4-5 and five on the year, which is what Dave Clawson currently is going through. They're 4-6 and six right now. But you don't really talk about the 2020 year because of the pandemic. One of the losses is a bowl game, so they were 500 before they actually lost in the Duke's Mayo Bowl. But then right after that, Wes, they go 11-3. and They had that four-game winning streak in that 2020 season, and then they lost three straight to North Carolina, (laughs) Louisville, and Wisconsin. But what does give me some confidence that Dave Clawson can answer is, one, he deserves the benefit of the doubt for what he's done oh, at Winston-Salem. Seven straight bowl games. Yeah. Are you kidding me? He's damn near God. So so, <laughs> so he, that goes to show you what it is in Wake Forest. But, yes, I think you're, I, I think we all know he deserves the benefit of the doubt. But also, this isn't unprecedented in my eyes. The pandemic, it makes you forget a couple of things that happened in 2020 because of how weird of a year it was. You never knew if your team was going to be playing. It could be that Friday, and you did not know if your team was even going to play in the next day. Just ask a lot of Charlotte 49er fans. But they were 4-5 and five that year. Next year, they end up winning 11 games. So maybe this is something that Dave Clawson can bounce back from. Maybe he doesn't win 11 next year. That's going to be too tough. But maybe he gets to a point where you win 9 by getting the right pieces back in place, and he deserves the benefit of the doubt for how much he's done in Wake Forest. Oh, nine games would be much appreciated if I'm they sure were able to pull that off. So when we come back on the Western Walker Show, David Newton says wide receiver is the Panthers' biggest need. Is he right? We discussed that and a whole lot more. Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. Get this sauce off my pants. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. 
McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Happy birthday to you. All right, thank you, boy. What you got, Vinny? You gave me the authority yesterday to blow the whistle and call fouls. I'm not calling a foul line here. Heartstopper Harley, maybe with the great thing we do moving forward for the legendary top ten. Mm-hmm. Let's exclude the quarterback. No, hell no. Nobody doing that. That's what. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay, Wes. I mean, I'm glad to know you were open to that idea. I thought it would make it for more right, interesting. Maybe think about it. You know, uh, nope. Wes was like, yeah. nope. Yeah. Happy birthday, Wes Walker. One year, happy birthday to them boys in the midday. We appreciate you hopping on the text line, 704-570-9610. We've been asking for your favorite show moments. It could be an underrated moment. It could be a moment that you've heard on rejoins in the past countless times. It doesn't matter. I just wanted to hear some of your favorite moments. 919 number, Natural Born 9, actually wrote in. I started listening to you guys in December when I switched roles at my job. I thought you guys had been on air forever with your chemistry and content. Keep up the great work. Happy birthday, Wes and Walker. We appreciate the love, man. And for those asking, we've had a couple of people asking already today on the text line, probably Mm -hmm. like a handful or so, asking if we knew each other before we hopped on the mic together. Yes. No, hell no. No, but we did, though. Yeah, we did. I don't know why you would play that, but we did. (laughs) (laughs) It does fit, I guess, the rejoin, but we did know each other. We knew each other pretty well, I would say. We had, I had you on my show back in the day quite Mm -hmm. a bit, and then we'd see each other at media events and hang out And I used to come up there. I had started coming up there to do in-persons with you guys when we were talking ACC. Yeah, so we knew each other pretty well, and then we would text every now and then about albums that were just dropping, a lot of Griselda stuff, yeah, lots of West Side Gun. <laughs> that was our exchange. That was our original bond was, I remember calling in one time, and you played a beat, and I'm it sure was I something did. that not a lot of people would play. And I was I'm like, sure was oh, he must be on it. I'm yeah. sure it was from the It was something like album. that, or it was a, it was just a really deep cut hip-hop track. And I was like, oh, I was like, Walker must be on it. I said, playing that, because I made a comment as I came in on the segment. And so then that kind of burst everything. You know, when I left the previous station, there's one thing that I left behind that I absolutely hate. Your music bank? And that was my collection of music. Yeah, you had some joint. It was, I don't know how many. Go scratch yourself! I don't know how many songs I had. It was, it's ridiculous. Like, that's what I would do every once in a while after the end of each show. I would just download maybe a few songs that I liked. Always got the Shazam at the ready. Anytime I'm out and about, if I'm at a bar and I like a beat. Oh, I do too. It doesn't matter. It doesn't, it... I could not know what the song is, and I would Shazam it because the beat was fire. And then I would put it out there as an intro, and we had something to roll with the next day. Or I could know it, have not heard it in a long time, and that was a part of my bank. I probably have hundreds and hundreds of lists on the Shazam. I do that all the time, man. No matter where I'm at, what I'm doing, I'm going in a store to shop. I'm doing something. I hear something dope. I'm 
I'm the guy standing in the middle of the store with my oh, phone yeah. up in the air. I'm not going to lie. I look <laughs> I look a little scared doing it. I don't want to be that guy that calls attention. <laughs> so especially if I feel like I'm going to be uh, like judged for not knowing a song. Mm-hmm. So I'll kind of like hide it. <laughs> and I'll put the speaker out and about, but I'll hold it close to the chest. And the best feeling is once you hit that phone, do that little quick vibration yep. and you know that it's in there. You're like, oh, yeah. Nothing is the worst. Nothing is more worse than... I can't speak, and I do radio. I've been doing it for a while now. That's okay. Anyways, you don't want. Yeah, nothing is worse than having the Shazam app out, not being able to hear the song. Like the you can hear it, but the app can't. And so it says, "This one's tricky. Give yeah, us some more time." Yeah, and yeah, you yeah. know they're not going to be able to identify yeah. it, especially if it's a great beat. And you know you and just you have, get frustrated. And there's like no, especially if there's no words on it. So then you can't even type the lyrics in. There are songs out there that are forgotten, that are in the cornfield somewhere, we'll never be able to find. And that's what I do it a lot with TV too, man, with commercials. I'll be sitting there watching something, or like if I'm watching I've some beats from commercials, yeah, Sports Center or something like that, and they're playing a dope song in a commercial or going to break, and I'm like, oh wait, 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 what is that? And I'm rewinding it back so I can catch stuff. Yep, do it all the time. Oh yeah, all the time. We appreciate everybody writing in. Happy birthday to both of us. It was my real birthday yesterday. It's the show birthday today. Big old week, mid-November for Walker Mail. Big old week, <laughs> and especially it is big for the show. Feel free to text in. Continue. We love seeing the text, guys. Seven zero four. 570-9610. We got some David Newton content to get to. <laughs> Fiddy hmm. laughing in the background is my favorite. The reason he's laughing is because David Newton, man, he catches a lot of hell. And honestly, David Newton's a nice guy. He really is. There are some things that he puts out there on Twitter. I love him to death, man. But there are some things that he puts out there on Twitter where he'll get joked about quite a bit. But he did have a report for us to talk about in a very serious manner. And the dude's a good guy. Here's the thing. He lists wide receiver as the Carolina Panthers' biggest need. So ESPN dropped an article, and every single team, every single beat writer for each of these franchises told you what they should address first and foremost once free agency hits or just whenever the draft hits, whenever the offseason is here. David said it was wide receiver. Wes, you brought this up a couple months back, and I think it continues to ring true. DJ Moore, Curtis Samuel... Those are a couple wide receivers they drafted that hit. I I love Curtis Samuel. I think he's very good. He got $10 million a year on his last contract they signed with Washington. I just think they have a collective group of weapons that they like to throw to, so his numbers aren't crazy. But, man, you want separation? Samuel's going to provide that. That guy's quick. He was fun here before leaving for Washington. Oh, no, he's always hurt, though. Yeah, yeah, that was the problem. That that, that That was real true. DJ Moore was very good. But after those guys... Who have they drafted that you feel good about? Who have they, what's a young player that they brought in at wide receiver, whether it be free agency, whether it be via trade, that has worked out to the point where you're like, yeah, we're good on our weapons. They brought Robbie Anderson in, legitimately had a good first year, went over a thousand yards. Robbie actually switched up his style a little bit where DJ was the deep threat. Robbie Anderson was more of the possession receiver that year. DJ had, I think, quite a bit more yards per reception that season. But then we know what happened with Robbie after that. Gets the contract, and eventually he's bouncing around from Arizona to Miami and who knows, right? How big of a problem has that given this offense, the fact that they can't find a wide receiver outside of DJ Moore? And Curtis Samuel, even if he's good, you don't bring him back. It feels like it's really had its uh, impact on this team. 
Uh, this is such a tricky one because wide receiver, you definitely want that. You feel like the guys aren't getting open, and we've seen that. Adam Thielen's the only guy that can get open with some consistency. But at the end of the day, I do not think it's their biggest need in theory because I feel like, and it's hard on fans, and I've been through it as a fan of the 49ers when they were going through this stage. When your team picks a bunch of linemen for consecutive years, it's not the most fun thing in the world. It's not the sexiest thing in the world, but then it's going to end up turning you into a contender. And I think that has to be the first point of emphasis. I feel like you can upgrade your receiving core in free agency. Now, if you have just a absolute can't-miss future Pro Bowl caliber receiver sitting there staring you in the face, then, of course, you take them, and then you can upgrade in free agency on the offensive line. But I think you've got to start building in the trenches, man, if you want to be a contender for the long haul. I mean, when you look at PFF's offensive line rankings, and yeah, there might be some teams in here that aren't strong contenders, but tell me a team in the top 10 in here that at least isn't solid. Detroit's number one. The Ravens are two. The Falcons are three. The Colts, four. Eagles, five. Vikings, Chiefs, Dolphins, Cowboys, Bills. You get my point. You got to build in the trenches. And so I think this offensive line has to be the first point of emphasis. We saw this with Cam Newton. He overcame a lot of bad offensive lines or average offensive lines. You've got to build in the trenches first and foremost if you want to be a contender for the long haul. You can have any receivers that you want out there. You guys know this. I'm not telling you anything new. You can have Jerry Rice, Michael Irvin, Randy Moss, whoever. Now, Randy Moss, you might be able to just throw it up and he can run under it or something like that. Yeah. But other than that, you get my point, man. If you don't have the time to throw, I don't care who you have out there. So this team, I feel like, has to make offensive and defensive lines the first point of emphasis, especially with the team that needs so much. You've got to start with the fundamentals. You've got to start up front. I think the offensive line is a good answer. I, I just, if you're going one position, is it really left tackle already? I mean, are, are we saying that Iggy's not the answer? We want to move him inside and you go after another left tackle. I, I think if there is a really good left tackle and let's say you're up there in the draft and that's the best player available, then I'm not not selecting that guy because I have Iggy. But I do think that I might look at the wide receiver because I, at least I have Iggy who has played good football before his rookie season with a different scheme. Mm. So is there a coach that comes in and says, this is what we're going to go back to. He got some help his rookie season, but he also played pretty well. After the first two weeks, we can also look at a lot of these other snaps and say, that is a future left tackle. At wide receiver, we just don't have any production. This is true, but but I think you also need to build in that middle, man. Now, I don't like to bring Bryce's size into the equation a ton, but when you do have a smaller quarterback, yeah, Icky has struggled this year, and I said it's looking like it, it's, not, it's trending in the direction of being a bust. But when you talk about building this offensive line, it didn't just left tackle. If you got a nasty guard yeah. sitting there at the top of the second round that you want to go with, you got to take him. You've got to shore up the interior of this offensive line. I think Moten is decent enough. Icky, like I said, who knows what the future is going to hold for him. But I think that, yeah, like I said, it's not sexy. I think about when the Niners rebuilt before and they went with Upati and all those different offensive linemen yeah. that they picked and defensive linemen. And in the draft, when they get picked, you're not sitting there like, oh, God, I, I can't wait to see these guys. But the people who know, they know. When they start picking these linemen and it starts to stack up two years, three years in a row, you've been building those lines. Then you come out and you're dominating people up front. 
man, that'll have you good eight to ten years to where you will be in contention to win championships. I, I, I'm in this weird area where I actually think it would help Bryce Young a lot right now. But there are plenty of examples. Once your QB is established, that your offensive line isn't as important and you just need somebody to get open downfield. And I think there are a couple of examples that we can go to. For instance, Cincinnati. I can remember Mike Tannenbaum's take that Cincinnati should be fired off into the sun if they take Jamar Chase over Panay Sewell. <laughs> yeah. Well, Panay is... I mean, they, it, they couldn't have gone wrong with either. Panay is a fantastic right tackle. Probably best right tackle in the game. Yeah. And Jamar Chase is a top three receiver. The Cincinnati Bengals offensive line, it's a problem right now. But they've gotten deep into the postseason, even with bad offensive lines. We can go to the Jets, where they've got Zach Wilson throwing the football now. But if they had Aaron Rodgers, Garrett Wilson as that duo, I would feel good about that duo, despite the offensive line being so bad. Now, maybe you just point to, hey, they couldn't even get off the first drive because the offensive line was so bad. Fair enough. But we've seen a couple of QB wide receiver combos where I just want Bryce to have that. I do think I'm with you, though. I just you can't address that with one move, mm-hmm. right? Like one player you can sign, you can get your wide receiver, but you're only getting one member of the offensive line, and you still got four other guys that need to do their job in order to protect Bryce Young. I just look at this draft history. We've gone through the draft history a ton mm-hmm. over the last what couple months here, Wes. They draft Curtis Samuel. They draft Christian McCaffrey and Curtis Samuel with their first two picks in 2017. By the way. So, two weapons that absolutely worked. They draft DJ Moore in 2018. Ian Thomas, 2018. And then DJ Moore hits. They don't have anybody else that hits. Not on offense, not at the skill position. I mean, you don't. You have the all-defensive draft in 2020. You go with Terrace Marshall Jr. You go with Tommy Trimble, Chuba Hubbard, Shai Smith, Chuba's a hit, but it's not like he's a home run. He's right. just a good solid pick. Double. Think about how many think about how many skill players they either haven't addressed in the draft or they just outright missed on. Man, you can only endure that so often. DJ Moore, as as young as these guys seem, Wes, DJ Moore was drafted in 2018. The next draft the Panthers are a part of is 2024. There are a lot of players. DJ Moore is just a wily vet out there now. I mean, he's not young anymore, and that was the last guy that you hit on as a skill player. So even if you even if you're not wrong about the offensive line, I'm with you. I want them to protect for Bryce. I think that fixes a lot of problems. I think that helps you. I think that gives you a fighting chance. It does show a problem that the Panthers have had through a couple of GM, uh, through a couple of front offices right now, and that neither Scott Fitterer nor Marty Herney after the DJ Moore stuff and after Dave Gettleman and this Panthers team has not been able to solidify the skill group for whatever quarterback is throwing them the football in quite some time. Well, if you look at, and I'll give you a couple of examples, what happened to Patrick Mahomes when he played against Tampa Bay? Like, when, when you're not styled up front, well, it's going to come back to see was, you. Well, that, That's what I'm saying. It's going to come back to see you. Seen, when you but, yeah. but also, too, they were going up against a nasty D-line. Pierre Paul and those boys. Yeah, Shaq oh, no, Barrett yeah, was, at the height of his powers. It was the perfect storm yeah, it's for, gonna, oh, my God, run away It's going to come back to see you because in the playoffs, the, the teams that are going to make it to the conference championships and to the Super Bowl are going to more than likely be very, very good up front. It's going to show up at some point. You look at the Cincinnati Bengals. 
when they went to the Super Bowl, what were the plays that decided that game? Aaron Donald blowing up their offensive lineman a couple of plays on that final drive. Yes, Aaron Donald, but still, if you're a little bit more stout in the middle of that offensive line, yes, Cincinnati got by. They won huge games with a subpar offensive line. But at some point, Chicken's coming home to roost, baby. Yeah, you can get you can be Cincinnati and you can get there and you can get there a couple of years in a row. But ultimately, yeah, I think I think you're right. Like I actually I'm kind of sitting the fence on this because there's it goes to show you there are a couple of boxes you need to check off before you're really good. But Philadelphia's offensive line is phenomenal. They also have crazy wide receivers. Philadelphia's just done a great job building their team. That's what I'm saying. Kansas City's offensive line was great. But also that example flies out the window because your best receiver, your best options, it was Travis Kelsey, who's phenomenal, but also Juju is your number one receiver, and they end up winning the Super Bowl. The offensive line, though, we have to remember, also improved quite a bit last year for Kansas City. So you need the mix of both. I, for me, Wes, I think you're right. And then I think it becomes more important to get a wide receiver once Bryce is established. I just want Bryce to have time right now. And you can handle you can handle that in both cases. There could be a receiver like T. Higgins, more than likely, is going to be sitting there in free agency. There's no law that says you can't go get T. Higgins and draft two or three offensive linemen in the draft. Like that can be done. Like the draft doesn't have to take care of all of your needs. The Panthers are going to have some Skrilla, so they can go out there in free agency and grab a receiver or whichever way you want to attack it. You can. Do a little bit of offensive line in the draft, a little bit in free agency, and, and grab you a receiver or two in the draft, or whichever combination that you want to do it. It's just going to go by the best player yeah. on the board. And if you have some nasty guards or centers that sit in there, like I said, it is not fun. I'm sure for Fitty as a Cowboys fan, when they drafted Travis Frederick, their center, that wasn't a pick that got him jumping out of his seat. But then Travis Frederick comes in and is a dominant center, one of the best in the game, and it contributed to one of the best offensive lines that we've seen in a while. One one thing I don't think you have to convince Panthers fans of is seeing the value of drafting an offensive line. Like, this is the joke about dra- having Jordan Gross go away and us being appreciative of going after Icky. This team, this fan base... They were clamoring for a left tackle as much as they were clamoring for a quarterback. Like, they know the value. It doesn't need to be sexy. That's one thing I'll give credit for to the Panthers fans. It's not about, hey, give me somebody that's fun that I can watch contend for the Heisman Trophy. It's who's blocking for the guy that wins the Heisman. We haven't had somebody like that. And left tackles are sexy, you know, like yours truly. You know what I'm saying? But uh, (laughs) but it's not – and and people know it's about more than the left tackle, and that's what I'm saying. It's like left tackles are – they are kind of the the trophy kind of pick. It's exciting when you get a big, nasty tackle. But like I said, the picks that are boring, that end up turning you into a champion, is when you're picking those guards and those centers and those interior defensive linemen and guys like that, nose guards and stuff like that. Those are the picks that aren't going to get fans excited, but those are the picks that are going to win you games. And that fourth quarter when you've got to tote that rock to run that clock down to win that playoff game that divisional game that's what you need fitty who's more sexy left tackles or church league legends <laughs> oh church league legends because they've got god on their side amen amen <laughs> let's move on we'll talk more about the carolina panthers how about the charlotte hornets they host their first ever in season tourney game tonight what do we expect against the miami heat that coming up on wesson walker sports radio 92.7 wfnz 
Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Happy birthday to you. All right, ya. sing it, boy. Happy you know what that sounds like to me? What's it sound like? Sounds like... Any artists out there that want to be an artist, want to stay a star and don't have to worry about the executive producer being all in the video, all in the records dancing, come to death row. That's what that sounds like to me, because it sounds like that he's saying that he's that label that the executive producer is all in the video. And he just wants to be able to work with him and his coaches and do his thing. Uh, I take it by your blank expression. You might not be very familiar with that quote. Wes, I'm not going to lie to you. I have no clue what you're talking about. It's one of the most <laughs> famous in your hip-hop head. The gall that Fiddy had to come over here and take my imaginary card away from me. Did the whole finger wagon, give me your card. Like he is the one with that type of authority. A funny moment and one that I'm still ashamed of. It's Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. Wes and Walker celebrating the one-year anniversary. It's our birthday. We appreciate it, uh, appreciate everybody for celebrating our birthday with us on the middays, of course, every weekday from 12 to 3. I did want to remind you of one other event we have, of course, this one also being annual. The WFNZ 21st Annual Street Turkeys is presented by Ram Pavement. It returns to the WFNZ Jack Daniels Doghouse Wednesday, November 22nd, WFNZ, Second Harvest Food Bank of Metrolina and Loaves and Fishes Friendship Trays joins forces for a full day of gathering donations, turkeys, and canned goods to distribute holiday meals to families in need. Can't make it on November 22nd? That's okay. You can help right now. Just text Street Turkeys, that's Street Turkeys, one word, no space, to 44321. Again, that's 44321, and you can make a monetary donation. It's the WFNZ 21st Annual Street Turkeys presented by Ram Pavement and brought to you in part by Blue Cross and Blue Shield of North Carolina, TR Lawing, and One Cloud. I've got something brewing, I think, for street turkeys. I'm going to think of something over the last, I guess, the next couple of days, next week or so, to where uh, we're going to try to figure out creative ways that people can donate, Wes Bryant. And it's going to come at our expense, and I apologize for that, but just okay. know I'm going down with you. <laughs> just know, even if it means your demise, your fall somehow, I'll be right there with you every step of the way. All right, this doesn't sound like uh, <laughs> it doesn't something sound- that's going to be too good, but it also sounds like it could be great for the for the social media, so you know I'm here to promote. It will be great. That was our first picture together that we put on our profile picture. Yeah, was it was. Turkeys. It was. We looked like, we looked like a turkey gang. We definitely did. We did like you want, these, you want these butter balls. <laughs> you kind of, where were you from? Where gobble you gobble. From? I'm shocked. <laughs> Fiddy is not hysterical as stitches right now after that comment. 
what you what you think about these? These are my butter balls, man. What size they are? <laughs> they're Do you my want size. these nuts? They're my size, is what they are. All right, that's our uh, that's our street turkey handout. I'm excited to uh, I'm, I'm excited about the uh, the the, um, the the takes we're gonna have that day. Some of the things that I have lined up. It should be a lot of fun. All right. So speaking of a charity event. We were there yesterday for the Cornucopia event, the 13th annual event for the Charlotte Hornets, who also help us out every year for street turkeys. And I thought Steve Clifford had a lot of interesting comments with us yesterday. And so here's one discussing Miles Bridges' anticipated return. For those that don't know, there was a continuance during his court date yesterday. Now it's going to be taking place. There's another one on, Feb- uh, on February 20th. This is, of course, in the alleged violation of the protection order after Miles Bridges turned himself in to be arrested for felony domestic violence about a year and a half ago now, and there was a alleged protection uh, violation of the protection order. So this court case continued to February 20th. Wes, he's eligible to play after his 10-game suspension. Tonight's the last one. He's eligible still by the NBA to play on Friday against the Milwaukee Bucks And Steve Clifford has talked about how he'll have a significant role as soon as he's back. What I'm interested in is when the other teams go five out, is that when we're going to see PJ at the five and Miles at the four? Is that when Clifford is going to go small? Here's what he had to say. When we downsize with P.J. at the five, the talent level on the floor for us is significantly less. And, you know, with all the injuries, you know, with Terry, with uh, Cody, with Frank, all those guys being out, um, you know, we have to keep enough offense on the floor. I I thought that was interesting because we've seen James Brego go to P.J. at the five. But he also had Miles Bridges at the four, and those lineups were successful. I also thought it was really interesting him talking about winning in the postseason. One more clip from Steve Clifford discussing, hey, we might sacrifice a couple of victories if it means competing once we get to the postseason. If every time a team downsizes, you know, we downsize, I'm just going to say, and, and maybe this is a mistake, but this is Van Gundy, Pat Riley. you got to build a team game that you can win in the playoffs with. That's it. And so if you sacrifice a couple wins along the way, that's what they would do. And I believe in that. Like, look, you want to get to the stage where you're in the playoffs. It's not just making the playoffs. Can you play in a way that you can win a playoff series? Okay. And those are decisions like that. That mentality that reminds me, like in a movie, he got game when Jesus played his dad at the end. And he was wondering why he was continuing to light his dad up and he wasn't offering much resistance. And he said, I'm teaching, son. And that's what Steve Clifford is talking about right there. Said like a true coach. He is teaching right there. And I think that's a great philosophy as well because this is a guy, we know that teams in the NBA, while some do value home court advantage, but when you have a veteran-laced team and you feel like you're championship caliber, it doesn't matter all that much. And Steve Clifford knows this isn't a team that's going to be NBA Finals bound. So he's like, hey, I'm going to get these guys ready now. And if we do take some losses then we'll be ready to go when the playoffs come, if they can get to the postseason. So that experience is what he's valuing over maybe some early season victories that may not matter in the grand scheme of things anyway. I think that's a great mentality to get this team ready because there's still a lot of inexperience. There's still a lot of young guys on this team, and coach is still trying to establish what it is they want to do and establish their identity. So I like that mentality 
a ton. A legit question from Jack on the text line, though. Joking manner, maybe not so joking. Jack writes in, so now we're losing games to make the playoffs. <laughs> well, yeah, th- it's a good point, though, because there's an argument to be had saying, Steve, just go small. Let's try to get this win against Washington, and let's worry about the postseason when we get to the postseason. But if you take it's interesting he said Pat Riley, right? Because he goes Van Gundy, Pat Riley. This is a squad. I coach my team to be ready once you get to the playoffs. What happened to Miami last year? The team that Pat Riley is at the head of now. Once you get to the postseason, they won. They got all the way to the NBA Finals. They stole a game against Denver. They beat Boston despite having a regular season that wasn't anywhere close to what the Celtics did. But also you got to get there. I think Steve Clifford is very internally motivated. I don't think it means anything to him. But that's not true. I don't think that Steve is the way he is because the Hornets got destroyed in the last two play-in games. I do think that there's a little bit of the reason as to why Michael Jordan might have hired him because he knows what Steve is about. He's not going to break away from what his identity is in the regular season because if you do, then you don't have the backbone. You don't have the foundation to actually compete once you get to a four-game series. But you got to get to the dance floor to dance, right? That's how Doug put it on Lockdown Hornets today. And so that's why it's an interesting conversation to me. I like the fact that they would be ready. I, I value that philosophy. But man, as a Hornets fan... That's gone seven years without a playoff appearance. Hmm. I guess I wouldn't mind getting blown out in four games, too. <laughs> Maybe when I get there, I'll have a problem with it, but I would like to get there. We should have followed up with how many games are we talking, Coach? Yeah, like how many games are we willing to sacrifice? If I'm, if I'm here sacrificing 25? Ooh, yeah, yeah, no, yeah. And then no, we're no, like, no, Coach, no, all right, nah, do nah, don't we do don't that. need that. Yeah, I guess it does depend. <laughs> All right, let's now go to the live wire with Josh Fitty Marlowe on the other side. You're listening to Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you.